1: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast.
2: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Well, let's find out on Fan of History. We are going to just jump right back in to my conversation with Gary Stevens from the History in the Bible podcast about Deuteronomy. Without further ado, let's take it away.
3: Some of the laws in it, for example, are laws of war. From Deuteronomy uh, 2010, when you approach a town to attack it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it does not surrender to you, you shall lay siege to it. And when your God delivers it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. You may, however, take as your booty the women, the children, the livestock, and everything in the town. Okay, maybe not a great law of war, but at least it's a law. Yeah, and it goes into uh, some really interesting details. Here's Deuteronomy 21.10. When you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you desire her and would take her to wife you shall bring her into your house and discard her captive's garb she shall spend a month's time in your house lamenting her father and mother after that you may come to her and possess her and she shall be your wife again not a great law but at least it's a it's a rule and regulation that you got to follow I I suppose it's humanitarian in the sense that she gets to spend a whole month mourning her massacred parents.
2: Right, while you're licking your chops waiting to have at her. (laughs) I guess she gets to get ready for it. Yeah. You know, I'm a
3: bit surprised that they didn't say you've got to wait, you know, say nine months to make sure that she's not already pregnant. by your Yeah,
2: good point. I guess you don't want to wait that long, but maybe you got at least a month. You could wait. What what exactly did they say you have? Yeah. You bring her to her house. Yeah. Oh, you shall spend a month. Yeah, that says you shall.
3: So I can imagine, even even if they said six months to guarantee that she's not pregnant. Yeah, or maybe they just didn't care. And the various laws of war go on to say that, okay, when you're fighting the Canaanites, you shall not let a soul remain alive, which sort of contradicts the first bit.
2: About, right. Yeah, only things up the Canaanites. Right. Just um, it's kind of like Austin Power's father when he said he has only two things in the world he hates. He hates uh people who don't care about other cultures and the Dutch. <laughs> 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 it's like yeah, you must do this, you, say, you know, take the men and leave the women and the children except the Canaanites.
3: Uh okay, now laws about family relations. He's a goodie. Oh, I love this one. Deuteronomy 21.18 If a man has a wayward and defiant son who does not heed his father or mother and does not obey them even after they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him. They shall say to the elders of the town, This son of ours is a right bastard. (laughs) Thereupon the men of his town shall stone him to death. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I know, I love that. They should read that. My daughter goes, does go to Catholic school. They should probably read that to them. They should have that as one of the readings every once in a while.
3: It's funny how these bits in the Bible really don't get um, out there that much. No. no, no. Or, here's another one, which I would enjoin all the um, female personalities on Fox News to remember. This is Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman must not put on man's apparel. So, no suits, ladies, nor shall a man wear woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is abhorrent to your God. So, no kilts.
2: Yeah, well, he's specific, at least. <laughs> right? I mean, he's pretty specific.
3: And, of course, there are crimes against um, adultery. Well, not adultery. Um, sex outside of marriage. Deuteronomy 22.23, in the case of a virgin who is engaged to a man, if a man comes upon her in town and lies with her, you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry for help in the town. And the man, because he violated another man's wife. Because everyone's being stoned to death.
2: Yeah, that does bring up that Monty Python movie. Everything brings up that Monty Python movie to me, when not there? The Life of Brian is for saying Jehovah. Jehovah, Jehovah. But all the women had the men redressed as women.
3: What? Are there any women here? No, no,
2: no, 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 no. 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 <laughs> That's one of the best movies. Any fan of history, I'm telling you, you could watch that movie a couple of times a year.
3: And and it's probably the most accurate depiction of Roman Judea ever made, I think.
2: I believe, you know what, I think you said that on one of your podcasts, and I had just lit, watched the movie like the week before, and I was like... That's what I was thinking. Man, it's, that is so true.
3: Yeah, it is. I, I, I know the um, Judeans at the time were incredibly factionalized. The Romans, in the, in the person of John Cleese, of course, are just going, oh,
2: God. I'm going to find that your episode for that one is I'm going to put it in the show notes because that's a great episode you did. Because when you, that's when he talks, I don't remember the line, but it's when they says we're the Judean front and we're not the front of Judea or something. That was the, that's the best. <laughs> the only people we hate more than the Romans is the people's front of Judea. Aren't we the people's front of Judea? No, we're the front of people's Judea or something like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. But Deuteronomy was somewhat egalitarian, which was different than what was going on in the rest of the area, right?
3: Yeah, the Mesopotamians had very similar law codes, but they based punishment on wealth. So the richer you are, the more you'd pay for an infraction. And I think that's the case in Sweden. It is? (laughs) I think it (laughs) is. I I think um, penalties for criminal infractions like road offenses are pro- are proportional to your income.
2: Really? Well we'll have to Dan will confirm this.
3: If you could check, I, I think it's I think it's either Sweden or well, it's one of those scandy countries.
2: Well we will find out. Dan will definitely know. He, no, he's not a lawbreaker, but I'm sure he knows the law.
3: Uh, I hope I'm I'm just not hallucinating that.
2: <laughs> well we'll find out.
3: I mean I think that's a fairly good system actually.
2: Yeah, right. So they but But in Deuteronomy, it's more egalitarian, right? Where there's not the class distinctions?
3: There there are no class distinctions. You you pay your 10 bucks for parking your chariot in the wrong place, regardless of how rich you are. And another thing about um, the Israelite version is that every crime is also a crime against God. And apparently that's just not in the Mesopotamian versions. The Babylonian law codes do not say that you have transgressed against Marduk, and therefore, you know, you shall be struck, stricken. In in Israel, if you park your chariot in the wrong place, God is, is really upset. So immorality is equated to illegality. And offenses against morality are also religious offenses.
2: I was going to say that it is like they're so similar in the Ezra Haddon succession treaties that like I mentioned before there's so many similar curses and things there i mean the Esarhaddon ones are hysterical. there were some i didn't even remember i you there's pretty funny and then there's pretty obvious that the writers of deuteronomy were definitely well aware of the um Esarhaddon succession treaties wouldn't you think oh absolutely in fact if i remember
3: in the Esarhaddon succession treaties there's the very interesting statement that the subject peoples are commanded to love Esarhaddon.
2: Yeah, it's uh, the it ad uh, ashurbanipal because he has the he's the one, he's the chief, the, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, um, when I did a lot of the research on that, I didn't realize what a big deal that was. It's a lot of scholarship on it, and they've so there was a lot of copies of the Esarhaddon succession treaties, they were um, all over it. So they would, you know, the Assyrians uh, would send their diplomats out to the different. Top, you know they're different vassals, and and they're I shouldn't say colonies. You know territories, provinces, and they would they would be placed in the temple or in a in a you know public building, which was often the temple, and sort of almost like the the it was worshiped. like It was put in a place of prominence, and so every and it was read to everybody, and so everybody could read it. So I would bet it was. Uh, I don't know for sure if they found one anywhere in um, Israel, but they found about thirteen of them.
3: Oh wow, that's a lot.
2: Yeah, they found a bunch of them. And the last the latest one that they had found, they realized that it was in a position in the temple. That it was, you know, in a in a you know, prominent position, like almost that it was worship. Obviously the people didn't like the Assyrians that much. But they were forced to put them there. It does remind me a lot of the Ark of the Covenant in the because the covenant is like an agreement and the Ezra had Treaty is an agreement and it has all these curses and such in it.
3: That's exactly the same as the the covenant in in the ark, isn't it?
2: Because uh, they also destroyed them. So after, when the Assyrians eventually fell, the people they they the tablets were like specifically destroyed. Like they destroyed pictures of Ashurbanipal and things like that. Like they you know cut off his nose and things. And but they found the treaties were destroyed too. You know because they were so angry with them. It was it was definitely a point of contention. I would think throughout the end. Yeah, like you should they shoved this in your face, like and you're gonna have to law of Ashurbanipal.
3: I mean, the Assyrians were notorious bastards <laughs> yes. in, in an era in which bastardry was common. <laughs> yes. Why did they decide to be like that? I mean, the, the, the much later Persians were really nice people compared to the Assyrians, but the Assyrians seem to have gone out of their way to be offensive.
2: Yeah, it seems to be their god Asher demanded blood because he was a war god. Oh, okay. So I know Dan always mentions that. I I would like to do an episode on Asher sometime, like really dig into the religion of the Syrians. But of course, it's you know more esoteric to the priests and the scribes, and then the regular people are just like, if I mix this potion, will I make my girl love me? That kind of stuff, or will I get my 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 crops grow? You know, they gotta live their life. But when the the priests and stuff, there was a Weird, just like number 1000. All the gods of the Syrian religion add up to 1000, and each one has a number. And Asher is, in some form, the, all the gods put together in one to the priests. But he was a war god, and he would demand blood.
3: I think it would be a good foreign policy principle to avoid any country whose primary deity is the war god.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, like when you see, like, Conan the Barbarian in that real evil place, and it's like, that It always seems like that's, like, Asher, you know? (laughs) You're like, okay.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today.
2: They're definitely rough. You want to read a couple of them? I, mean, I know I did them on one of mine, but the, my fa- the one is my favorite. This one. here, This one, because when I listen to you do it on your podcast, it cracked me up. May all the gods who are mentioned by name in this treaty tablet make you, your brothers, your sons, and your daughters go backward like a crab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that stuff.
3: That's pretty Python esque, isn't it?
2: Oh God. So yeah, that's another way I just I just feel that the that the Deuteronomy the way it was written was written knowing all these other things and how kinda stuff went down in the Middle East in those days how you did it. And then I think Josiah and his people or his people talked Josiah into it to get rid of the other old religions and they were on the go. I mean, you got to say, though, it, it it really worked. There's, You don't know, ever hear about the Ammonites or the Mo, Moabites or, you know, the Philistines. Like, th- this book and these laws, they did keep the people together through this millennia.
3: That, that's true. It seems to have been a... a- brilliantly sociologically cohesive force yeah
2: right like almost like a darwinian force
3: so it worked it worked an absolute treat whoever came up with the idea okay supposedly it's moses but whoever really came up with the idea um deserves to have been remembered Though i suppose the whole point is that he is in the background
2: you know that was the other thing just fascinated me is that there's a there's a whole scribe school called the the Deuteronomist editor, right? Is that what it is?
3: The Deuteronomistic history, which is taken to be the books of uh, Joshua, Judges, and Kings. So these are the main historical books. The school of historians must have been part of the same circle as whoever constructed Deuteronomy. And their basic take on history is, obey God. And everything will be just tickety boo. Step out of line, and you are going to be in deep doo doo. And this runs through the whole collection of the books. Now, this idea that there that all these books are in in some sense united is again also fairly recent, and that only dates about to the nineteen twenties. But it, but, it, but it's now believed that the Deuteronomistic historian, as he is or as they are called in a very ungainly term, wrote all the books, or at least the school did, and we don't know how long it took to to write these books, but they seem to all emanate from the same school.
2: They took original books and kind of edited them too, or they sort of wrote a bunch of books?
3: No, they certainly had sources, because I'm quite sure in Kings it actually does refer to, for example, the Book of Jasher, and the book of the kings of Judah. They actually say explicitly, yeah, we have these sources, which we are using. Uh, and they put their own theological slant on them. And of course, one of the theological slants is that the rightful line to rule the Israelites is the line of David, and he will live in Jerusalem, which is the one true eternal capital, and the temple is the one true eternal place.
2: That so, really was the seems to be the focus of the religion for hundreds of years, right? Really, it's that, fo- centered in Jerusalem, and the temple is, I mean, that was all the way up to the, till the second temple was destroyed. So do you think this Deuteronomy was started back in Josiah's time, That like written or found or something, or do you think, just, you know, we don't know, or do you think it was written while they were in captivity in Babylon? And it was all... Ba-
3: I, I think the core of it, the, the law code, goes way back to it, to probably to Hezekiah's time at least. The same group of people I've been talking about about this as this monotheistic party of scribes or priests or whatever. They became the dominant force in Second Temple Jerusalem. I mean they they probably didn't really capture complete power until the Babylonian exile, I suspect.
2: But as far as we know, we do think Josiah probably did have purges and that kind of thing, so as far as we don't really know, I guess we don't really know for sure. I thought it's funny though. Like I watched one part; I thought was funny in Kings when they killed the priestess, uh, prophetess. She says that you know Josiah, you will die, you know basically you'll have a peaceful death in your bed, but he apparently dies in numbers. <laughs> it says right that he dies fighting Neko.
3: Yeah, so that didn't quite work out.
2: Yeah, but I'm surprised it didn't change it. <laughs>
3: I don't know. I don't know why either. Yeah, because Hulda says no. You will not. You will not live to see the horrors which will be inflicted on your country. What well, he did.
2: Yeah. Well, I think they meant like he didn't live to see them captured by the Babylonians and the temple destroyed. He lived. It, he died. But, but that was, I think. Um, so let's see. We said so. If we're doing because our podcast all these dates too. So we're six twenty two. If it was found, I think he dies in like 609, six oh nine six. All around there, he dies during the, um, you know, when the. Egyptians and the Assyrians are trying to um, take her on. When the Egyptians are coming through to help the Assyrians, the he tries to stop them.
3: So I have a question for you: Why did the Egyptians decide to help the Assyrians? I would have thought no one in their right mind would try and help the Assyrians.
2: Well, I'm going to get to that because the thing is, for me, when I do the research, I go into this tunnel vision mostly. And so I'm going to find and I'm going to, you know, and you know as well as I, I'm going to, there's going to be people that want to kill each other over their opinions on this, the scholars, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm going to read them and we're going to find out from the thing. But I mean, just cursory thinking, like a couple of things like, you know, on, um, during the Napoleonic time, like you needed to keep the balance of power. Technically, the, the Egyptians were a, a Syrian vassal, technically. So that was part of it. I mean, maybe they just didn't like the Babylonians. They they wanted to get back into their, you know, get back into the Levant. There, we'll find out, and I'll come. We will come back to that.
3: And and I'm sure you will cover it quite a lot.
2: I will because that'll be like right in those years when we. So when we get into you know, if I'm like six, you know, the six tens, I guess that'll be or the six zero zero, the six the odds, right, six hundred to six ten around there. So, but that's so apparently Josiah dies. There's a couple of different versions of how he dies. Sometimes he just sort of gets shot with arrows and makes it home. Sometimes he dies there. So, may, you know, maybe that didn't even happen. Who knows? Who knows for sure? We never know. We, we just keep find We do keep finding out, though, which is so awesome about history. It's like it happened thousands of years ago, but we keep finding more stuff out.
3: Yeah, it's always great when a new tablet or something turns up, isn't it?
2: And, and I think when you, when you said something before about, you know, they didn't realize it until 1920. Well, they didn't know the they really we didn't know for thousands of years. We didn't know the context of what was going on in the 600s and the 500s in the Middle East, you know, until much later. We didn't even know about the Assyrians until the 1800s.
3: Exactly. It's not until the mid-1800s that the Assyrians were anything more than just a name in the Bible.
2: Right. Right. Just a name in the Bible. And you think, whoa, these guys are like they're they're for real. Right, and then we find. I mean, they got away with the flood, having the flood, the flood myth in there all those years until they dug up the Epic of Gilgamesh and Ashurbanipal's library. We're like, oh, so there was a so. The, I guess that's how you get away with copying stuff if it, you know it gets lost to history.
3: I, I tell you what, in, in the in the mid nineteenth century, it must have been an absolute great time for an ancient historian, wasn't it? Where all this information lost for centuries, thousands of millennia. Suddenly, is is revealed and you're going.
1: Whoa!
2: Could I? This is totally a little bit off topic, but I hope the fans enjoy. Like, I was sitting on the beach and I was watching a helicopter fly by, and I thought, if I was sitting here in 1880, that would have been like amazing, right? But just think, if I was sitting there in 1920, fifty years, forty years later, it might not have been that crazy. Like, just so many different. I think so many things happened in the late 1800s, and forty years to just just mind-blowing, you know, just 1880 to 1980, and like 1920 to 2020, and maybe it's just because I that seems further away to me, but it just seems like a lot, of, like in 1980, I could be like getting on an airplane, you know, and a jet, and someone from 1880 would be like, I can't even imagine that, but 1920 to 2020, I don't think it'd be that much of a difference, I mean, they didn't have, you know, travel the same but you wouldn't think that oh they're not going to have jets or airplanes you know someday I don't know maybe I'm awake crazy what I'm saying but I'm just
3: I mean the late 19th century is this titanic shift from sort of um, steam and steel to electricity and chemistry Uh, and the invention of electricity just changed the whole
2: yeah it's just a massive change such a big change Anyway, and maybe that's just as far back as our minds go. You know, I think back to like I knew my, my great grandmother. She was born in 1901. So then I heard, you know, talk about her father. But, you know, I was 13 when she died. But I knew my great grandmother was born in 1901. So you, it's 2020. That's 120 years of history, like living history. A lot happened then.
3: Oh, a lot happened then.
2: Sure. In between then, but I'm like, sorry, I, sorry, I get a, uh, I go on a tangent sometimes.
3: That's part of your charm.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. But yeah, back to Deuteronomy. I mean, it just, it's, it, my opinion is that it was written around the time, you know, the, the beginning of it was, it had a definite political purpose, and then it was, you know, changed, I guess, for the next hundred years or so. So then how does it end? What happens? Then the last, at the end, Mo, Mo, we know that Moses dies in it, right? So obviously he couldn't have said that, because he couldn't have said, now I died.
3: No, well, hang on, how's it end? That's a good question. Oh, here we go. Okay. The final chapter of Deuteronomy. Now, remember Moses and all the Israelites are on the other side of the Jordan, looking longingly at all the people they're about to kill in Canaan. (laughs) And it says, Moses went up from the steps of Moab to Mount Nebo. And Yahweh showed him the whole land of Judah. And Yahweh said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will assign it to your offspring. Okay, you waited a few centuries, but well. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not cross there. Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom Yahweh singled out face to face. For the various signs and portents that Yahweh sent him to display in the land of Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his courtiers and his whole country, and for all the great might and awesome power that Moses displayed before all Israel. And obviously Moses is well, the key figure in the Bible for Jews, and as the Roman Jewish thinker philo Judaeus said of him, Moses was the greatest and most perfect man that ever lived. And I think that, that would be the, the standard attitude of Jews throughout the world today.
2: Yeah, yeah, he is the the ultimate patriarch, so to speak.
3: The ultimate patriarch, uh, the greatest leader who's ever been.
2: So then, so God was still mad at Moses, though, right? That's why he wouldn't let him.
3: He was mad at the whole Israelites. I mean, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Every single Israelite who left Egypt died in the wilderness, except for Moses, Joshua, and the spy Caleb.
2: I just watched a show, the, it was called, the. it was about George Washington and his spies, and the one guy's name was Caleb. I didn't realize that was the, you know, okay. It was called Turn, George Washington's Spies.
3: So just just three Israelites have survived this wandering, and God decides to kill Moses. So that leaves two. So I suppose Joshua and Caleb were looking at each other and thinking, hmm, got away with that one. <laughs>
2: Was, why, did he, did Moses do something that a- a- angered God?
3: Oh, he was always doing something that angered God, uh, and and he was always having to to calm God down. I, I can't remember the exact specific thing which got God so annoyed, uh, but I'm sure I'm, I'm sure it's probably something actually really obscure. Oh, I know. Oh, there's there's a story somewhere in Exodus, I think, where Moses is saying, "We got no water, man." We have no water, thanks. And God says, no, "No, hang on, I'll make it emerge out of this rock." And Moses strikes the rock with his um, magic staff, like all Gandalf like, and, and the water emerges. And God is furious. He said, "No, wait a minute. I didn't tell you to hit the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is my sacred rock, man. I was going to make it, you know, produce water anyway." But you hit it with your stick. So you're not going to see the promised land. And that would be typical of a God. He just gets in a snit. And no matter how dedicated you are or whatever, in the Old Testament, he will often just take a complete dislike to you over something utterly trivial.
2: I think so. Ever since I started listening to your podcast and, you know, I always study history, but really studying for this the podcast, a fan of history. I feel like the people in this time, God is nature. They didn't, they really thought there was gods, but, you know, nature is so hard to control. You know, like, I have a little garden and a, a big storm knocked it over in the beginning of the year. It's fine. I lost some things, but if that's your food. That's your, like, livelihood. And then, You know, locusts destroy it, or uh, marauders come in and kill you. Like this, all the things that can go bad that you had no control over. It just seemed like there must be a god, and he must be a big jerk. (laughs) He just like he's. You're almost like in Stockholm syndrome, you know. You're like, okay, I'm, and that wasn't a shot at. I hope that's a common term because you know, if you're a prisoner and and you're being, you know, tortured by your Your captor, but then you have to love your captor, or he'll be more bad to you. Sort of like that. And I don't just—I'm not just saying this and and Yahweh. I mean all the gods, you know. And then as time went on, and people became, you know, more understanding of natural processes, God became more esoteric. He became more of a loving father. You know what I mean? Like he just sort of, you know, he got a little nicer as he went along. I, because you know, then he wasn't. So that's the way I—I—that's I, my. Um, philosophy on it, you know. God, the gods just were nature, and nature was so hard to control. There's just so many less people. There's so I mean, you could just imagine like there was lions and you know all over the place. <laughs> I mean, we have lions, but they're not in our cities. They're not like near us. We don't ever worry about walking out and having a lion attack us or something. You know, most of us
3: here, we worry about spiders. They are in our cities.
2: Oh, spiders! Oh, you got a lot of spiders in Australia. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that.
3: Big ones, little ones, deadly ones, deadlier ones. We also have, I think, five of the world's most venomous species of snake. Some of which are also in our cities.
2: Oh, in the cities, huh? Like a mouse would be, or a rat, or just like a like a like. I have we have skunks around our neighborhood. We'll have like opossums, possum, skunk, squirrels, that kind of thing. So you might have like a poisonous snake.
3: Oh yeah. Ooh
2: was well, isn't there like the most deadly thing to swim with is in Australia too? Like it's an amoeba or something? Oh, it's a little jellyfish. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll kill you.
3: It's called the Irakanji jellyfish. It's about the size of your thumbnail. And the pain apparently is excruciating. And what's more, the pain is not stopped by morphine.
2: Oh, my God. I got stung by a bee today. And I was like, that hurts still right now. I would be really bad.
3: No, I've seen a few videos of some Australian foolhardy researchers who have been purposefully stung by it. No! (sighs) And it is not pretty.
2: Oh, my gosh. (gasps) It is
3: is a pain, apparently, which just your entire body is in pain.
2: And it'll kill you, too, or you'll just be in pain for a long time?
3: No, oddly enough, it's not actually that fatal. But unfortunately... The people who are stung actually want to die. <laughs> oh
2: my God! It's like a curse. It's like one of these curses. <laughs> oh, this is good too. Uh, I like this at the end. I mean, maybe it's in the middle there, but I like this about how it, you have your um, Deuteronomy seventeen fourteen. If you decide, I will set a king over me, as all the other nations do. It's like they didn't even get a... They didn't, it's like, wow, you're really putting a horse at front of a cart, aren't you? You, didn't put, you, didn't even, you still got to conquer all this territory. You got to go through the land at the time of the judges, and you're ready to talk about the king already. That's obviously specific about something that was happening at the... Oh, and then he shall not keep horses or send people back to Egypt? It's to- solely specific, right, about David and... I mean,
3: Solomon was chastised in the Book of Kings. For keeping a few horses too many, like several thousand. So that's, that, yeah. And then, then and now Moses is predicting Solomon, centuries in the future. So, had it been a real speech, there's Moses talking to all these people who are just waiting to, to conquer Canaan. And he's talking about a form of government which does not
2: exist. And they're going, What do you want about? Not only that, they're all dead. They're all the children, right? So all the originals, people are dead. Now that you're born and you've been walking to the desert for 40 years, you're like, well, this is my existence. And then you're like, what you said.
3: Just comes out of the blue. Now, obviously, when you know that Moses didn't say this and the book was written centuries later, okay, that's fine. Even the medieval rabbis picked up that Deuteronomy was not written by Moses because it has too many anachronisms in it. But they didn't say anything for the very obvious reason that it's part of the most sacred part of the Old Testament. It'd be like the Pope saying, You know, I'm not entirely sure Jesus was the son. No, no, no. I don't think I'll put that out there, guys. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that would not go over well. Oh, yeah, I look at that scene as sort of like another Monty Python scene where they're like, What did he say? The meek will inherit you. Oh, the meek, good for them. They've had such a rough go of it. <laughs> it's like, you know, they're listening, like, what are you talking about?
3: <laughs> and did he say, blessed are the cheesemakers?
2: <laughs> I think we should do a whole episode just on that. We should watch it and just laugh at the whole thing. <laughs> oh my God, I know. I really appreciate, you know, talking with me, Gary, and I. When we do this, we're, um, I'm two hours a day before, though. So we're, Right now, it's 8 o'clock p.m., and it's the next day for Gary. So we do this on two separate days, right? Right. So it's two hours. I'm two hours before. So it's like I start at 7. It's 9 o'clock in the morning for Gary. So, you know, the time. So I appreciate Gary, uh, you know, helping me out with the podcast. I still have to do research on the 640s. So that's why it's... um. He helps me get a a couple extra podcasts in there, which I think this is the 640s, and it's super interesting. I I just, for some reason, just love Deuteronomy. I just think it's so super interesting, and I love Gary's podcast, so I do appreciate you coming.
3: And uh, I love your show, too.
2: Do you? Oh, that's awesome.
3: Fan of history.
2: We're on the upswing. We're getting a lot more listens, so the people could uh, go to our Patreon page. You could check us out on Facebook. I'm uh, we are a fan of history on Facebook. I check it and Dan checks it. We love to reply if you have anything to say. If you are mad at me for talking about Yahweh, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I really don't. I'm I'm just I love the history of the Bible, the history of religion. I, I do, I love that I think that studying religion is very interesting. It doesn't mean that think of it one way or the other, it's just you know, a personal opinion of how you feel about the actual um, theology of the religion. But I think religions are it just uh, super interesting, and, and especially uh, the Hebrew religion.
3: And you must as well, right? Because you
2: have a whole podcast on it.
3: That's true. I have a whole whole podcast on it.
2: Yeah, which is called? the
3: History of the Bible. Right, history in the Bible. In the Bible.
2: And by the way, now Google Play has Google Podcasts, and all your stuff is all up there. So you could you could listen to um, Gary on Google Podcasts. It used to be not everything was, all of Gary's stuff wasn't on Google Podcasts. You would miss a couple of episodes, so I used to have to listen to it on Stitcher. But now with Google Podcasts, you can listen to all of History in the Bible.
3: Oh, right, because Google sent me an email a couple of weeks ago saying, yeah, would you like to join Google Podcasts? Now, I, of course, not knowing it was a Nigerian prince trying to get access to my bank account, <laughs> said, yeah, sure. So it's actually worked. Okay, good.
2: Yeah, it worked because, and it worked pretty good. So I have Google Play. I use that for my music and everything. I'm a Google guy. So, um, you know, I do my podcasts on my Google Play app. But then it said, would you like to transfer all your podcasts over to the new Google Podcast app? Yes. Clicked it over. Everything went over. I had already found yours on that when I downloaded it. So it was all there. The pictures, it's all, it's all good. So, uh, you know, any of you pe- guys, listeners who use, uh, Google, you could definitely find Gary on um on Google Podcasts now. I have a and I have a friend, my friend Angela, shout out to her. She loves your podcast. She started listening to it.
3: And hello to Angela Beck.
2: Alright guys, thank you very much. And remember Patreon for do you have a Patreon page too, Gary?
3: No I don't. I've never I've never I've never got around to it. Is it worth it?
2: I don't know. Dan probably gets keeps a lot of money. I don't know. He doesn't give any to me. <laughs> Uh, you know what? That just shows you it's a labor of love, right? It Really is. I really, I really, I know yours is a labor of love. I mean, shout out to Frank too. Frank loves your podcast as well.
3: Oh, thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank.
2: Frank's list. Frank. Frank goes for walks and he listens to like four or five episodes at a clip. Oh well. Wow. I mean, your stuff is really good. Any of our listeners listen to this? I definitely think you should check it out. It's really, really good.
3: And to my assist- listeners, I say you should. Certainly, check out fan of history if you want to hear a really thick Swedish accent,
2: <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a northeast Pennsylvania one with it. <clears throat> All right, everybody, thank you very much. Like I say, if you have any comments, questions, you know, don't, don't bother Gary, bother me with it. <laughs> I should say, any good comments you could tell Gary, but anything bad, I'll take the heat.
3: Okay, I'll, I'll take that. All right. Okay. Bye, bye, everyone. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon,
0: patreon.com slash history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.
1: Planning for your next trip?